I think AI has provided companies answers to get people immediate sort of answers so they don't get frustrated. And that's been a huge help when it's accurate. So that's been the part about the training, labeling, all of that, that we're taking so much time to do. But I think that will only get better. And that's where I think AI will continue to evolve and continue to get more accurate and continue to get better. But to your point, we'll never be perfect. And so there will always have to be people looking at how it's trained, making sure it's valid and relevant. I don't see a world where it can ever just live on its own. Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum, bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today, we have an extraordinary guest joining us. She is a true trailblazer in the fields of customer success, customer experience, and customer intelligence. Keynote guys, customer. (laughs) She's at the forefront of driving the customer intelligence category in the market. She empowers companies to harness the power of artificial intelligence, AI, 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 (laughs) and embrace a customer-centric approach. Throughout her career, she has consistently demonstrated her dedication to customer satisfaction and growth. She's held pivotal roles, such as the chief customer officer at LinkedIn's Glint, where she scaled the company's ability to delight customers. Before that, she served as the chief customer officer for SAP's global cloud business and success factors, cementing her status as a pioneer in the industry. It doesn't stop. She's been recognized as a top customer success influencer repeatedly since 2018 and has also authored the book, Goodbye Churn, Hello Growth, where she imparts her wisdom on cultivating lasting customer relationships and driving business growth. So if you're eager to discover the secrets behind building thriving customer-centric organizations and want to be inspired by our exceptional leader today, Let's welcome our guest, Mary Poppin, president of Horizons Employee Experience Division. Yay. Hey, KJ. Thanks for having me. Yes. And she has the coolest name ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I married into the name, believe it or not. married into the name. And that's a funny story. You'll have to tell us a little bit later. But before we get going, let's tell our guest, Mary, what is your secret I don't know if it's so secret, but what is your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? You know, KJ, I think it has to be intellectual curiosity. It's that, you know, striving for how do we always do things differently, better? There's got to be another way to do it. There's got to be a better way to leverage technology processes. You know, people create things that will change people's lives. 
And, and that's where I would say intellectual curiosity comes in. Yeah, that's really led you across some very significant paths of being able to help companies grow because you've applied that intellectual curiosity towards the customer. Why has that been your focus? What started that out? So throughout my career, for the most part, I've been in the HR tech industry and had the opportunity to work on delivering the technology for customers in a way that was going to really impact their people and their customers. And so the tech itself was innovative and game-changing, but the way that we deployed it in light of the customer's business context and maturity really made game-changing steps for those companies, for those employees, for those customers. And it really, you know, offered the market an opportunity to do things in a way that have never been done before. And that, I guess, being in a rapid, you know, innovative industry, having ideas that you can deploy and be agile and flexible and sort of change things quickly has allowed me to continue to innovate and satisfy, I guess, my appetite for kind of that next best thing. So I've been fortunate enough to be in companies and have, you know, leaders that supported that kind of approach. Yeah, you have been really lucky because technology in itself can be extremely like innovative and disruptive in a good way, but the customer experience sometimes is left like Mm -hmm. way behind. And I don't want to say sometimes because I know you're going to paint that picture for us, right? Like the status quo, like we hear a lot recently about customer experience, right? Customer intelligence, but... What's been the status quo as far as customer experience? You know, I think that organizations always mean well to put customers at the center, but actually doing it is is not easy. No, it's hard. It is hard. And you can define a journey for your customers that you want them to go through and everybody agrees. But the reality is the only way to make that come to life is to have cross-functional alignment and prioritization, you know, from the top down through the company and, you know, people working together across organizational boundaries all the time to make the customer experience better. The truth is there isn't one function or team that touches a customer at any single point in a journey. You know, sales isn't the only ones that touch a customer during the sales process. It's product. It's including your services people to do scoping. It's marketing and how they even got the messaging, you know, from the very beginning. And so when you look at a customer journey and the customer experience, they're being touched across pretty much every function in your company has something to do with it. And if you're not establishing the right roles, responsibilities, accountabilities, and cross-functional opportunities, you know, you're really kind of siloing your customer experience and ultimately the impact you can have. Right. So I think people can see that in like conceptual theory, but let's give them some great examples because we're all about really painting the picture (laughs) of how this is. It is very hard to communicate across divisions, departments, cross-functional boundaries in, you know, corporations. What's the impact that that has been, the difficulty on the customer experience? So a great example, I think we could probably all relate to is when, you know, let's just say that you purchase a new technology, right? You go through this really long sales process and you trust this company, you trust your sales team, and then you sign the contract And then you get handed over to a delivery team. And the very first call is, 
great. What do you want to do? Tell me about your business. You know, how should we implement this product? And it's like, I just spent six months (laughs) building a business case. You know, we should already be rocking and rolling in this meeting on how we're going to get there. And so that handoff and that transition in and of itself is a common experience that, you know, needs to be improved. It's super common. What are the reasons for that? Like, what have you found? I mean, because I'm sure that's probably been one of the first places that you've had to start because you yeah. start with the first pain point is, I, I take it, or maybe one of them. Like, what have you found the reason for that? That is so common. Well, it's also super critical because it sets the foundation, how the customer you know, gets deployed, how we bring value quickly, and just the overall partnership experience. So there's so many pieces to it that if it's not done well, can, you know, fall apart. But I think the the challenges come around, you know, several things. One is how people are incentivized, you know, so if it's just closing the deal and then you move on and you have no skin in the game or any, you know, compensation impact for sales after they do a handoff and services gets involved. That's one thing. So if they sell something inappropriate and it you know sets the wrong expectation and the delivery team has to escalate early or the customer wants to cancel, shouldn't that sales rep, you know, be part of that process? Shouldn't their comp be, you know, impacted as well if the customer cancels? Brilliant. You get 20% of your commission now and you get the next 80% of your commission once the customer is Yeah, and they're fine. Yeah, that's one. And I think too, you know, processes being defined so that there is room for collaboration and the handoff. And then, of course, technology. Tech has made it, you know, so that you can establish good handoff processes that automate or scale, you know, that that handoff. So you don't have to do, you know a warm handoff and a new document for every customer handoff. You know, you can build it during the sales process in Salesforce, for example, and there's the right fields that the delivery team can review. And then you have a half hour warm handoff meeting and all of a sudden, lo and behold, you know, you're ready to talk to the customer and you know everything about them. And so the very first meeting is, here's why you purchased the solution. Here's what we learned from our sales team. And even better if the salesperson's on the handoff call, right? How totally. awesome is that, right? And so it's those things that if companies can make room for that experience, it is it just pays, you know, so much more triple fold when it comes time for upsell and renewal. And it differentiates your company from the ones that aren't doing that. When it is a tactical sort of relationship you know, customers are less excited about the work you're doing together. It's more about checking the box and getting it done. If you can get them excited, even like about a finance system, you know, or something like that, that's a differentiating experience. Yes, that's a very, very, very good example. And that is all too common, right? I don't even know this. I mean, I wonder, like, what are the stats of, you know, bad handoffs? you know, or incomplete handoff and then customer dissatisfaction that ends up canceling a contract. Do we know any figures like that? I don't, but I, uh, here's what I will share with you is that I have, there's been no organization that I've worked with either as an operating leader or as an advisor where I haven't helped them focus on that handoff as one of the top priorities. So in my experience, it has always been a pain point and one that is that I look for first as as an area of improvement and low-hanging fruit. 
in the customer. So interesting. Okay. So you say it's one of the top and I knew it was, I could tell just as soon as you said it, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what are the other two top? You know, a really big one is, especially in my experience with tech is between product and sales and delivery. So the handoffs and synergies around customer. So there's a few things to consider. There's what the market is asking for in terms of innovation and the prospects for selling. There's what your existing customers need in terms of features and function and roadmap. And then there's, you know, what products sort of wants to build or the way that they build it to meet the use cases. And so often the handoff gets muddled between what customers need or what the market sort of is asking for and how product designs it and builds it and when. And so those priorities, oftentimes, you know, products working a bit in a silo and gives the roadmap to, you know, marketing and sales and the delivery team. And then you kind of get in, give input after the fact. So it's very reactive, not a lot of alignment. I think product is probably in one of the biggest silos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I don't think sales really consults with product enough until they need something after the fact. Yes. And the other part and the other team that gets almost completely left out is engineering. They're building things that product tells them. Product is sort of the, you know, front facing with sales, delivery and customers. And then they tell engineering like what to build. Engineers don't necessarily understand the use case or the impact to the customer. They're just coding and building. Mm. The reality is if you can have the engineers who are building it, hear the customer requirements, hear the customer stories, and for sure, give those success stories back to the engineers who are building the, the product so they can understand what they've built is actually leading to business outcomes, right? It's super motivating, but it also ensures alignment that what they're building is tied to use cases that are meaningful. So those handoffs too, between like understanding what to build and how to build it in a way that is aligned to use cases that are meaningful. Because I will share too, there's been a lot of products, features that are rolled out that are built in a way that customers can't use them effectively. It's too heavy of a lift or there's not enough, you know, integration with, with certain data or whatever the case is. And it's like, no, this feature was built for this purpose, you know, to scale, you know, to scale uh, QBR collaboration, let's just say. But it's missing all these pieces that would make it easy to do. So then customers don't take advantage of, mm. right? And so it's just that alignment between the customer use case, how they'll actually use it how it can be built and then the times and how yeah. it integrates with the rest of the product. <laughs> it's a lot of omitted data. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a lot of omitted data. You know, it's very interesting in my crisis management career, the number one out point that you have to look for, which is very hard, is omitted data. Yeah. How do you go look for omitted data when it's omitted? But that's the one thing, that's the number one thing you look for. And I look at this, these two top points, and you're talking about omitted data, right? Yeah, I love that. I think that you just gave a name. I'm, I'm going to use that now going forward. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Yes, it's so very true. And you have to have, a, two case in point for you, is you have to have enough familiarity with the scene to know what the omitted data is. Right. And yep. that's very key. 
Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, in the case of this, I would imagine artificial intelligence really sort of can help fill in like the omitted data gap. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure about that, but, you know, tell me how AI is used to embrace this customer centric approach. Yeah. So here's one of the things I'm super excited about, KJ, related to AI's capability and how we're finally figuring out how to use it to personalize the customer experience is exactly the omitted kind of data or knowledge piece, which is there are tons of relationships behind the scenes across data that you're capturing today, right? Companies are capturing tons of data. What is the usage of your technology and the relationship to when a customer will upsell or purchase a new product? When is the ultimate time to value for the customer? Not for you, like when you get a customer live isn't necessarily time to value. What is the customer's time to value? Those are things that AI can actually run behind the scenes and pull all the data together and say, enterprise customers who implement this product, these products in this sequence and go live in this time frame and use it in this way are the most successful and they'll stay with you the longest, right? Or they upsell, they have the greatest upsell potential after six months, you know? Those are the flags that companies could leverage to build back into their sales process, their delivery process, right? And also to start to predict what customers are going to want and need and get ahead of it. So if you know that a customer is going to consume and be ready for upsell in six months based on their usage, you can actually reach out, right, in month four and say, you're on track based on our data that you're going to need more licenses in the next two months. Let's start to work through that process now, right? And so you're proactively ensuring they're ready, you know, to continue to be successful. That's fantastic. Those are the insights AI can provide, things that you wouldn't even necessarily know would be related or what to look for. You know, I think that's beautiful. And the other aspect I was thinking when you were talking about that is you could also look at you know, these customers that have these steps done or omitted are likely to cancel early or are likely to have, you know, escalation cases initiated. Or on the other hand, take a look at your most vulnerable aspects and shore those up and and compare them to what is the most successful and fix that. I love that. There's actually an example. I worked with a customer that had a really significant certification program for customers on their product. And they invested really heavily in this approach that they felt was the key driver for success for their customers. There were four levels of training to get to certification. And so their goal was to push really all of their large enterprise customers in particular through all four levels so they would be the most successful. What we actually found through the AI is that only level one had any significant impact on the customer's success and retention. And that 60% of their customer base was in the SMB and mid-market segments. And they were not even getting through level one because all of the investment and time was being spent on getting enterprise customers through the four levels. So they shifted their business model on the training and they started to get all customers through level one. And they saw it was something ridiculous. It was like a 75% increase in upsell within the first two quarters of rolling this out. 
amazing changes. And this is what AI was able to derive from the data and the insights. They had no idea. And so they were investing time and effort into something that was really providing in insignificant returns. You know, data is so important today. Really being able to harness it has been a struggle yes. without AI, I would say. Yeah, I mean, data scientists have been able to do quite a bit. If companies are lucky enough to get data scientists, I don't know about you, but I've had to like beg, borrow, and plead for data science resources in the past and also then know what questions I wanted answered. And that's the hardest part is you can get further right along than, than you are now by just saying, I need resources to find these answers. But it's the AI that finds the things I would never even think to look for. So interesting. And you know, I will say, you know, data scientists are really valuable resources. But again, if they create or give data from a silo without really relating it to a customer experience specialist like you, they can really miss the mark. I mean, that's happening right now in manufacturing. That is totally true. Yeah. It's so fascinating because we have all this data. We should let data tell a story. But the reality is that somebody has to validate that story and say it makes sense or it doesn't. Because you can find relationships in data that really at the end of the day don't make that much sense or it doesn't really matter. You know, and so if you don't have that context, you're focusing on something that you could go down a complete different, you know, path of little value. So you're 100% right. Somebody has to be able to make sense of it. Yeah, that's why AI is only going to create more jobs because we need, yeah. we need you know, intelligent humans to uh, take that data and put the context and the interpretation to it, right? Exactly. So where do you see this, you know, customer-centric approach? Like, since COVID and even before, you know, customers have been driving products and sales and, you know, processes more and more. And then there's been this insatiable demand and almost like real-time impatience from customers for everything to be extremely customer-centric, extremely perfect. I hate to say perfect because there's no absolutes, right? But we've seen this across many channels in tech. And you've been working on this for years, but where do you see this customer-centric approach, this you know, customer experience, AI, and improving that headed in the next three, five, 10 years? Well, let's just face it. We live right now in a world where everybody wants immediate answers and immediate gratification for whatever you're looking for, right? And so you can Google something, and if you don't have a response, immediately to what you're looking for, right? It's frustrating. And so we're sort of being trained that way and think of the younger generation too. Like they're gonna grow up just like, I want this at my fingertips. And AI will be able to provide and, and I think keep up with, maybe even lead us along to even more <laughs> immediate gratification if that's even possible, you know, where it starts <laughs> starts to read your mind and go, here's what you're thinking. <laughs> that would be freaky, right? Yes. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I think AI has provided companies answers to get people immediate sort of answers so they don't get frustrated. And that's been a huge help when it's accurate, right? So that's been the part about the training, labeling, all of that, that we're taking so much time to do. But I think that will only get better, right? And, and that's where I think AI will continue to evolve and continue to get more accurate and continue to get better. But to your point, we'll never be perfect. And so 
there will always have to be people looking at how it's trained, making sure it's valid and relevant. I don't see a world where it can ever just live on its own. No, I don't either. And, you know, they need specialists like you to really evaluate, you know, the customers because customers change and customers get older and newer customers come in and younger customers come in and there's new industries that form and new verticals and there's different needs. I mean, let's just look at the catalyst of COVID as you know, increase this pent up demand, right? For so many groups that have been underserved in the past, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an ever evolving thing. For sure. So we used to build scale in our customer delivery by best practices. And everybody was like, yes, this is a best practice. And, And that got customers further along you know, in terms of results and it helps organizations scale. But the reality is that best practices are only really relevant when you apply the business context to the best practice, right? So it's sort of like, what is the business need? What's the best practice for that based on the customer's maturity, market, right? All of these things. And when you can start to do personalized playbooks and personalized best practices for customers, Through AI, you're still building tons of scale for your company, but you're giving customers now an even greater value-add experience because you're taking those things into consideration that just weren't easy to do before. And that's where AI is helping kind of ping for people who are customer-facing. It surfaces. Here's what's going on with your customer. Here's the next best action, right? And so the customer-facing person doesn't have to gather all that information on their own and think through it. They actually have it at their fingertips now so they can apply it to the customer. Yeah, it's so beautiful. That's yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> I was just reading an article about retail and retail manufacturing and customer experience and how AI can really help find what customers are truly interested in today instead of having these huge inventory like creations and then having to sell them at you know, a fire sale later when some of them don't sell, that they can create them as consumer preferences change. I mean, that's just a game changer right there. And that is totally customer centric. That is complete. That it is game changing. It really is that sort of real time, the processes and the systems that can support that even within a certain margin, 5% margin of, you know, having inventory ready still keeps you from overproducing right? Or underproducing. So you don't lose out on sales. People don't get frustrated, but you're not stuck with a warehouse full of, you know, tickle me Elmo's that are no longer (laughs) dating myself, right? But yes. Well, speaking of tickle me Elmo's, I know you have two boys, but they're grown up now, right? They probably don't have tickle me Elmo's, but tell what are your crazy passions outside of work? What do you like to do? Oh my gosh. So yeah, my boys are actually 18 and 20. My youngest just graduated and is headed off to, to college. So my husband and I will be empty nesters. So anybody out there has recommendations, you know, for us on uh, what to do now that our, our world doesn't revolve around what our boys are doing every day. Yeah, we'll get, we'll let people uh, <laughs> contact you after the show and give you some ideas. That would be great. You know, we're, we're playing pickleball, traveling, and I, I do want to be away from the Minnesota winter for maybe a month or two, you know, going forward. I mean, no offense. I'm not, I'm just not a super outdoorsy snow person, even though I've been in Minnesota my whole life. 
And wine tasting. I love finding new wineries and wine tasting with friends and yeah. That's so, fun. you know, you'll have to, I got an idea, make a map of all the wine tasting places that you want to visit around the world and put a map up and then you and your husband can plan <laughs> that <yeah>. out. <laughs> I love it. And we'll start with the ones that are closest to our kids. There you go. Yeah. Concentric circles start (laughs) close to home and then bigger and bigger and bigger. One of my EAs before she retired, her and her husband would do that for NFL and college football games, right? And, you know, the Super Bowl being the pinnacle, but that was their empty nesting project that they did. So great. Yep. That's a really great suggestion. So (laughs) taking that down. (laughs) Okay. Mary, first of all, tell us. Your name is Mary Poppin and, you know, Mary Pop, you're the quintessential, like very logical, happy <laughs> advisor, right? How did you get that name? Oh like, gosh. It was the first thing I realized when I met you. I was like, I love your name. You know, it's, I, so I'm married into the name. So I met my husband through friends in college. And so, yeah, I, I, I didn't know his last name right away. And then my, my best friend, uh, as we were chatting, told me what his last name was. And then we both looked at each other and started laughing because it dawned on us, you know, what if I became Mary Poppin? If I marry him. <laughs> Lo and behold, yeah. I called my mom and said, I met this really wonderful Prince Charming. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm Mary Poppin. And actually, we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary this upcoming November. So congratulations. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun name to have. Okay, Mary Poppin, how do people get a hold of you? Definitely on LinkedIn. Head out to my profile and send me a connection and a message. That's probably the best way to reach me. I check it all the time. Okay, great. And then you know, the top three pain points that people usually come to you with. So people can think with this, like, I need to talk to Mary, Get you know, give them an idea. There's quite a bit around structuring teams and what teams are needed at what point in the customer journey as your business grows, scaling and just delivery model. When to segment customers, I think is a big one to make sure the experience stays really strong. But again, where can you scale, you know, within that experience? And then I think on just innovation, how can we do things differently or better and continue to improve? So those are kind of the three areas I, I talk to companies and colleagues a lot about. That's awesome. And you also, are you an adjunct professor at the University of Michigan? Is that right? I am. It's actually Michigan State. Michigan State. Go Spartans, right? Go okay. Green. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, I'm a professor of practice in the customer experience management master's program. And I love it. That's fantastic. That's awesome. And if you would leave our listeners with a particular food for thought, a motto, you know, something to think about regarding customer centric approach, customer experience, customer intelligence, what do you want to leave? I would just say there is always something that you can be doing to improve the customer experience. Any little action, too big action, makes a difference. Don't get hung up on analysis paralysis, you know, just take the first step, take action. And the last part is no matter what your role in the company, you have an opportunity to identify something that can be done better for your customers. So be vocal. You know, if you see something that can be done better or you have an idea, make it known. That's badass. There's a mic drop right there. 
Thank you, Mary Poppin. I love this. Thank you so much, KJ. This is really fun. I look forward to chatting with you again. Yes. All right, everybody. That's a wrap. If you learned something today, tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a focus on customer-centric approach. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.